Hey, it's Steve from Catholics Fight Porn. And in this episode, you're going to hear my wife and I share our story with Lisa Canning, the Possibility Mom. She interviewed us a few weeks ago. We go through uh, what it was like when we were dating, uh, how the disclosure went when pornography was brought to the surface, how we both dealt with that, um, what the recovery looked like, and just just sort of where we're at now, what it looks like now, what we're up to now. So, hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Catholics Fight Porn Podcast. My name is Steve O'Connor, the host and founder of Catholics Fight Porn. I help Catholic men and specifically newly married men overcome their addiction to pornography through my group coaching experience, Finally Free. Before we get into today's topic, I want to let you know that our first cohort in group coaching will begin in April, so stay tuned and click the link in the show notes for more information. Today on the podcast, I am bringing a very special conversation. If you struggle with pornography or you love someone who struggles, you want to tune in to today's episode. Today, I am interviewing Steve and Kristen O'Connor. They have an incredible story of how porn did not defeat them. And they have some really, like, I want everybody to listen to their story because they have an incredible story of redemption, of perseverance, of triumph. And they have some practical strategies to help Catholic couples who might be encountering similar struggles. That's what's coming up today on The Possibility Mom Live. This is a topic I have never delved into on this podcast. Um, It is a topic that I know many people struggle with. And I often get private conversations in my DMs about the husband or the wife struggling with pornography. And so I thought it was time to have a very intimate conversation, a very special conversation on this topic. And so Steve and Kristen O'Connor, welcome to The Possibility Mom Lab. How are you both doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for coming on to share this story. I know it's not easy. I mean, I know you've been journeying with this for a long time, so perhaps it's not as new for you. But of course, anytime that we talk about sensitive topics, of course, there can be uh, some some nerves or some emotions, of course, involved. So thank you for your willingness to share your story. So let's just begin with how you two met. Share with us just a little bit about your story of how you met and how long have you been married? Yeah, so um, we met in Chicago at a young adult group called Spirit and Truth that met weekly. And it was an awesome, awesome time where you know, we would meet, we would socialize, share some food, and then we would talk on topics. We'd go to adoration for a holy hour. And then afterwards, we'd, most of the people would go down to a local wine bar and just carry on the evening and the fellowship. So that's how we met. And, um, and how long have you been married? We've been married for 11 years now. Oh, Kristen, what did you like about Steve when you met him? 
Um, well, the first time I met him, I was just, he has a very sanguine, outgoing personality. And I think I was just attracted to that. I also thought he was really cute. <laughs> um, and he just was very personable. And I liked how he treated me, but he also was like very like friendly with my friends. And it seemed like when he was trying to get to know me, he was also like making an effort, you know, with my friends. He also made me feel very comfortable and um, almost like sometimes I had dated people in the past and I felt like I couldn't be myself or that they were like always on top of me or like it was just like too close for comfort. And Steve, I remember the first time we went out a, on a date together, um, we went on this like long date all day long that started with mass and ended with Circus Soleil. <laughs> and um, in between, we kind of like took a break and he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you can go off and like, you know, don't mind me. I'm just going to sit on the couch, like take your time, like if you need to go get ready. And he just kind of gave me space. And I just like really appreciated that. And it was just different from anybody else I had ever dated. So I would say he just really made me feel comfortable from day one. That's so nice. Okay, Steve, what did you like about Kristen when you first met her? Yeah, so she's beautiful and she's very Catholic which is great. She went to Franciscan University and um, I just, she's very smart and intuitive. And it was a type of feeling where like every time I was with her, I didn't want to leave her, you know, like we both had apartments in Chicago and we'd get together to watch, you know, a TV series or hang out or go out. But then every time I had to drop her off, I didn't want to, you know, I just always wanted it to keep going and, um, you know, I think I could tell in the beginning she was very nurturing. So I, I had a hunch she'd make a great mother, which she is. And I think what I really appreciated was that part of my story was that I have had this struggle with pornography for years. And for whatever reason, I had this random courage to tell her it must have been the Holy Spirit. So I disclosed that to her. And, she, you know, she didn't leave, you know, she didn't leave me. She didn't dump me. She stayed with me. She understood. And so I felt safe with her. I felt like, okay, like she trusts me. And it was a really good place to be in because I had, I had had some previous relationships, but that was always the one thing that I never talked about. And I, I just felt like if this, cause I thought she was the one and I thought, well, if, if it's going to work, you know, she should know. Right. I don't want to go into something and have this explode later. So, so there was a lot of grace there. And I just really appreciated that about her. And it continues to this day. And us trying to help others even now is that she supports it. She trusts me. And um, I just think it's amazing. So were you both Catholic your whole lives? Yeah, we were both cradle Catholics. I know for me, it was going to church every Sunday. And um, one of my brothers has always been in really deep into his faith. But um, I know for me, always loved our faith, went to mass. But um, in high school, I got off track. And like, that's a tough place to be, you know, because I think you know, the Bible says the wages of sin are death. And so I was definitely on the wrong track and was happy to have a conversion back to the faith. Um, 
when I was in college. So, and then, then it just took off by the grace of God. So. And for me, I, I went to Catholic school my whole life as well. And then at Franciscan University is really where I had more of a conversion into the charismatic movement and really having like a personal relationship with Jesus. So many of my listeners, are, you know, are connected to Franciscan and where I lived in Ave Maria, Florida, like half the town went to Franciscan. It's basically, <laughs> you know, a little mini you go there. So I really want to hear more about Chris, in your reaction, when you discovered, when, when Steve disclosed to you what he did, but I want to just backtrack a little bit, Steve, you have been open, you have a podcast, you have an Instagram, Catholics by Porn, where you have been very vocal about your porn addiction. When did it begin? And what was your journey to recovery? Briefly tell us that story. Sure. So it began when I was in fifth grade and I was at a friend's house. We were just hanging out. And he said, Hey, come here. I want to show you something. And there was, you know, the old drop ceilings. He, um, you know, he went up into the ceiling and he found, he grabbed these, these pornos as we called them, you know, the magazines that his brothers had and they were older. And for whatever reason, I was hooked. I, I just couldn't believe my eyes and it was just enticing. And so I can even remember ripping a few pages out to keep with me because we didn't have a cell phone. You know, it wasn't a few clicks away. It was like, if I give this back to him, I, I don't get to look at it anymore. So that stayed with me um, until I was at a, another friend's house some years later. And the adult channels were on late at night. And so, and, and it went on through high school and um went on through college and then the you know the real like shame would kick in once i found out it was wrong once i got into my faith and i heard some great talks by christopher west jason everett many others um and you know i just i realized this was wrong but i didn't know how to stop and so there was a very strong newman center at the university i went to I went to daily mass. By the grace of God, they offered confession an hour before every mass. And sadly, I was in the confession line many days a week. And, um, you know, shameful to, to, for my like, you know, oh, what do other people think of me? Because that's always been a struggle of mine. They must, like, if he's going to mass every day, why is he in confession every day too, you know? So, yeah, I couldn't break free. So this was a point where I wanted to be done with it. And for about five years, I didn't know how to be done with it. So, mm. you know, and you're, and you're not alone. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. There are 42 million, I'm reading here, porn sites, which totals around 370 million pages of pornography. 47% of families in the United States alone reported that pornography is a problem in their home. And really, tragically, pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Like that's a staggering percentage. So Steve, when did you know that something was really wrong? Like it sounds like you were participating in the sacraments so you you knew it was morally wrong, but when did you finally 
say to yourself, like, I can't just keep going on like this. I can't just keep standing in line for confession before daily mass. Like, what did you do to begin to change? Yeah, well, it was a, it was a very, it was this huge cross that I carried because I knew it was wrong when I couldn't stop on my own. You know, like in sports, if I wanted to, you know, pitch better, I would throw more. I, I, you know, like you find a catcher, you, you get a coach, you get an instructor. If I, you know, most things that I wanted to get better at, I could. And this was something where I wanted to get better and I could not. And it, so it, it, it was once I met Kristen and told her and, and, she was great. You know, she said, Oh, that's, that's great. Just let me know when it happens, you know, when you look (laughs) and when you act out. And I'm like, okay, cool. She's man, this girl is great. And I did that a few times. And, you know, she obviously with her right intuition was like, well, what do you mean? It just happened again. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I just looked again, you know? And for me, this wasn't going too well because I didn't like, I was getting very uncomfortable telling her. So I decided to hide it from her, Mm. which which now I'm lying to her. You know, it's like the sin of omission, which I'm really good at. And it just, it was getting worse and worse because now I knew that I was betraying this trust that she placed in me Mm. and I wanted to propose to her. And so I, I was really in this crossfire where I didn't know what to do. And I have this personality where I had a friend tell me, oh, there's this group of guys that meets. Most of them share pornography as like a baseline thing in common. Some have done more. Others, that's all they struggle with. It's like, you should come check it out with me. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's great. That's really good for you. Let me know how it goes. But I needed to be, I needed to be there. and. um so so sadly, I don't really, sometimes I don't do something until I'm like desperate. Mm. And it was when I had a real low with this and I was visiting a priest and acting out when I knew I shouldn't have, um, you know, I didn't ask the priest for confession. You know, I served mass for him. And I received unworthily and I thought, what am I doing? You know, like this, like it was the worst because this was a priest that I knew and he knew me from the Newman Center and he would have forgiven me. Like he knew I struggled with this. And so like that was my low. And ironically, when I came home from that trip, like I, I met up with Kristen, we went for a ride and she said, I just heard this Catholic therapist talking about the harmful effects of pornography on marriage. Kind of like some of the statistics you were reading and how many, if porn's in the marriage, the chances of divorce are off the charts. And so she said, like, like, look, like, I really want you to get help. I want you to get better. I think it'd be best if we're going to, you know, seriously move forward. And so while I was at my lowest, it was also this huge relief because it's, it's what I needed. You know, my temperament can also be phlegmatic where I'm, you know, 
I don't take action right away. And so, so the next morning I called the therapist and then she referred me to someone closer to me. And that's when I got better. That therapist, I kept meeting with him and he said, I want you to go to recovery room, you know, a 12 step meeting. And that is where, that's where I had hope and life. And that's where I got better. That's where I learned how to take action on this when I was always so passive. You know, I always, I always thought I would wake up one day and that God would cure me, that it, this would be gone. And that was, that wasn't the case. You know, I found out that I had to do my part and be an active participant in my own healing. So it, that's a very powerful quote that you just said that you had been passive and that you just thought that God would heal you. And of course we know that God can do anything. He's all powerful. He's all knowledge, obviously he can do anything, um, but he also requires our participation. And so I just think that's such a powerful quote. So how many years in that, that moment where you received our Lord unworthily, that moment with the priest, how many years in would you say in your addiction were you at that point? That's about 15 years in. Mm-hmm. Kristen, I want to come over to you because I think the story of the spouse supporting someone is a bit of the untold story. We, we have a lot of, uh, you know, I can think of many great Catholic men who talk about their struggle with pornography. But I'm always curious about the wife and what they thought and what their role was in supporting their spouse. So I'm curious, when Steve first came to you while you were dating before he proposed and said, hey, I have this problem, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I remember the moment that he told me, um, you know, sitting on the couch uh, in Chicago. And yeah, I mean, he he told me this. And I think I was I think I was in shock, to be honest, because I was like, you know, I couldn't believe that he struggled with something like this, because to me, he was like the perfect man, like he had the personality. He's humble. He just seems so loyal and he's, you know, such a good son and friend and boyfriend. And so I think I was just in shock, to be honest, when he first told me. Um, And then when the shock kind of wore off, then all the crazy thoughts in my head went off of like, you know, he's looking at he's looking at these other women. Like, am I you know, he tells me that I'm pretty. He tells me that he likes me. But then why is he looking at other women in this way? And I think it just made me feel less than. Um, It made me feel sorry for myself and sorry for him. Um, You know, I, I didn't really understand it because, you know, he was a good Catholic guy. I just didn't understand like how this could be. And so um, I remember just I I don't know if I had heard the talk yet about the pornography and the statistics, but I knew it was wrong. Like I knew what he was doing was wrong. Um, But I also wanted to help him because I did love him so much and I trusted him. And I knew he was the type of guy who, you know, when I when I told him something was wrong, he listened and he would take action. So I think there was never anything in my head that said that I would break up with him. I think that um, I just knew that he was going to go through the motions to get better. 
And by the grace of God, you know, I did hear that talk about the effects of pornography because I had resources now that I was told. And I remember getting on the phone with the counselor probably within a week of him telling me. And I remember the counselor telling me that I don't think it's a good idea that you're dating him right now. I think that he needs to get his life in order and maybe you guys can revisit that, but he really needs to take time for himself. And so um, that was hard on me too, because I'm like, oh, oh no, does this mean I need to break up with him? Like this, like, I feel like he's the one I'm going to marry and I couldn't even fathom the thought of breaking up with him. So um, I think that was... Uh, for me, it was kind of like the Holy Spirit being like, okay, like she has that opinion, but she also doesn't know him the way that you know him. And God was like, I'm going to help you and I'm going to help you guys work through this. And, you know, she was the one who I think I handed her number over to him and was like, you need to call her and see, you know, what resources she has for you. And I think that's where you got connected with the counselor who really after that, it was kind of like, I mean, it definitely wasn't smooth sailing, but it was a start. And I think that it gave us both hope. Mm. I think hope is is the most important element. So, you know, mental illness is in our marriage. Uh, my husband has clinical anxiety and has had uh, several bouts of debilitating depression. And I remember when that first happened, um, I, I can imagine similar emotions, Kristen, that you may have had, like, is this really happening? Like I had a lot of disbelief. Um, yeah. So is this really happening? How are we going to endure? Like, what's my future going to look like? Like I had lots of questions about the future and, and hope was very, uh, paramount <laughs> remaining. I mean, and it still is for me today. Uh, clinging to hope is so paramount. Did you have fear about the future, Kristen? Like, did you kind of, when he told you about his addiction, did it make you think about the, you know, raising a family and, and the impact of the addiction on, on the future? Like what what were your thoughts around that? Um, It did. And it didn't, because like I said, like, I just, I knew the type of man he was. But also like that fear would creep in, you know, like, okay, what if he doesn't stop? Like, how can we go on like this? What's it going to be like, you know, if we have a child and then, you know, we're still struggling with this and then the child finds out and then it causes this whole cycle of, you know, problems in the future. Um, So definitely fear did creep in, but I think because I was connected to so many good resources, I just, I really did have hope. And um, I know for some people, like they don't have those resources. And that's why um, I think this ministry kind of, I always knew that Steve was meant for more. Like he, um, he's just really good at what he does. He's always been really committed to all his jobs, all his bosses love him. Um, But I just knew that he was made for more. And like what we have because of this, because of this journey is just so amazing to to me and how much we've grown in a relationship with each other through going through, you know, this hardship. Um, it's just been, it's amazing. And I want to share it with other people because I can't imagine, um, you know, marriage is already so hard as it is, you know, you start having kids and things get crazy and, um, going into a marriage with pornography, it is hard. 
And it also is really hard when you're in marriage and the pornography is going on. It's just difficult. And so if we can get out of this one thing and we can get help with this one thing, it doesn't make life, you know, simple and easy, but it does make it easier than it would have been with having this addiction. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I don't know. It's, uh. <laughs> I think what what it is, to be honest, is um, a remarkable example of trusting the Lord and having a lot of faith in the face of adversity, right? So, Steve, you mentioned that you connected with a counselor more local to you, and they recommended a 12-step-based program, and mm-hmm. then you started mentoring. Actually, before we talk about you mentoring others, what was your healing process like? Was it easy? Did you stumble a bunch of times? Did it take a long time? Like, what was your healing journey like? Yeah, it was slow. I went to, um, so the 12-step group is essay. And, um, you know, I just showed up. I had no idea what was going on. People were laughing when I got there. And I, I said, what is everybody laughing about? This is a serious problem. What's going on here? I thought maybe I was in the wrong place. And, um, you know, it wasn't long before I could laugh with them. And, um, you know, someone said to me, you know, Hey, come to six meetings before you decide if, if this is the right program for you or not. The, after your third meeting, if you don't like it, just come to three more and, and decide after six, but it only, I only needed one because what I heard was, was me. Like I heard me in the rooms amidst probably 30 other people. And um, the cool thing was it was at a Catholic church, even though it's a it's a secular program. And it's kind of a, a world renowned group that I was in. It has a culture of sobriety. And, um, you know, the the one of the main, you know, they call them old timers, one of the old timers there. He got sober right before I was born. So <laughs> it, it's just so cool. And he still goes and he's, you know, he's basically like everybody's grand sponsor. So, um, so it was slow. I didn't know what I was doing and, um, all I could do was like, keep showing up. And for some people, it's just dragging the body and the mind follows. And and so I kept showing up, showing up and I had slips. And after the first time I acted out, I said to the guy I was talking with, what do I do? Should I tell my girlfriend? And he said, well, let me tell you the arrangement that I have with my wife. He said, if I reset my sobriety date because I've acted out or done something that's really not good, (laughs) um, I tell my wife. He said, you don't have to do that, but you can if you want to. And I thought, well... He's doing it. Sounds good. I'll do that. I thought I would honor this agreement. I would tell Kristen that I acted out. You know, I looked at porn, masturbated. And and so it just felt impossible to tell her. I knew I should because part of recovery is doing the things you don't want to do. So I went from lying and not telling her when I would act out to now. Now I'm working recovery. I have this hope. Other people are telling me that this works. So I made up my mind and I was committed to tell her, but I just couldn't do it. 
And after about like an hour, she came into the room. She's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, yeah, like I need to tell you something. And I told her and I mean, she was amazing. Like she trusted me, like she, like she said, that's okay. And, and, you know, and, you know, uh, I, I remember, you know, one of the first times, like she wanted to know some details and I told her some details of what I was looking up. And then like, I think that put her into a tailspin. And so then we kind of just said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when I act out and what I'm going to do to get better, but maybe I'll spare you the details, you know? And I think that's been a good formula for success for us. I know that's different in a lot of relationships. Um, some wives don't want to know anything. Some wives want to know everything. Um, but yeah, it, the first, the first two times I told her was, was so awful. Like I couldn't get the words out and she was amazing both times. And then it happened the third time. And I, I can remember driving in my car and I thought I could feel myself going into my own personal tailspin of this is going to be so terrible. And I said, well, wait a minute, why is it going to be so terrible? I said, she was really gracious with me the last two times. Maybe I should trust her with the information. And so the third time was really uh, quite a breeze. <laughs> and um, thankfully, that was the last time. But it was, hey, here's what happened. I think this is why it happened. Here's what I'm going to do about it to, you know, to improve and how it's going to be different moving forward. She was great. And that was coming up on 10 years ago. So. And that's, just, the, that's the last time you had to tell her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Praise God. That's amazing. I, I yeah, by the grace I, of God, I have to pause you because I'm, it's such a powerful story, but I really want your reaction, Steve. Some men listening to this or women listening to this might be thinking like, oh, I would just hide it and deal with it on my own. Like I, I just go to a counselor and I continue to do all the sacramental work that I need to do, but there's no way I'm telling my partner that I'm slipping up. Why do you think it's so important that spouses are honest about this? Well, the honesty is more important than the acting out, you know, um, Many wives will say, I can handle the fact that you just acted out, but what I can't handle is you lying to me. Because if you lie to your spouse, there's no foundation because then she's she has to wonder every time you leave the house or every time she leaves the house or late at night or basically any hour of the day, what's my husband up to? You know, we have a, a saying in our you know recovery that we're as sick as our secrets. And what I have found in my own experience in these 13 years of recovery is that God has a funny way of bringing things to light. You know, he will basic, like the guy will just get caught and it'll be the most random thing. Um, you know, I can think of story after story of where this has happened and see the guy thinks, well, I'm, I can't tell her because everything's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Either I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. I'm going to be sleeping 
outside of that <laughs> a couch in a hotel mm-hmm. or on a couch in someone someone else's house like she's going to leave me you know or i'm going to have to lie again or see for many guys they don't know how to get better because that was me and so they just they don't have the tools to talk through this and to say hey i just slipped up and um i need help so and why why do you think the honesty is so important um I mean, vulnerability, I I just think is key to any relationship, you know, and communication. And it's just so important because it brings you closer. It's like, you know, we are married and two become one. And, you know, even with me, like there's times where, you know, if I withhold something from Steve, like I feel bad about it. I feel guilty about it. Like it just, but I feel like because we have this relationship of like, we're vulnerable with each other, we can tell each other anything. Our greatest conversations have come over, you know, some of these really vulnerable, hard topics that we sit down and talk about. And as far as like accountability, like as hard as it was for me to hear, because I I often think like, would I do it differently? Because I've been on a healing journey myself. And so I'm different than I was 10 years ago. And I think about, you know, the times maybe he told me and maybe I did add to his shame because I was disappointed and then maybe he felt shame because of that I hope not no no but like you know thinking thinking to how I would react now like what I I just love the accountability because it seemed like you know if he was able to come to me I was able to kind of hold him accountable I don't think that should be um accountability should not just be for the wife I think that's why I really appreciate him going to the 12-step program and making phone calls during the day because it would be too much if it was just me hearing the the daily struggles that he goes through because I do still think and maybe he can talk more to this there are daily struggles I mean we live in an over sexualized world and the way that you know women dress um it's it's hard you know it's hard on him every single day and he's been able to share that with me and you know we try to avoid places or um you know, like we try to stay away from places where we feel like he's going to be triggered. And I'm very supportive of that because I don't want to put him in a place where, you know, he, he would fall into sin. And so, um, yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's funny because, um, you know, I wasn't able to like share this with anybody going through this process because I felt like, it was hard. Like I kind of felt alone in it too, because I didn't have any friends that I could, I had a lot of good close friends, but there was nobody who I felt trustworthy enough that I could share this with. I also felt like it was very personal for Steve and I didn't want to share his struggle with, with my friends. I did find one friend that I was able to talk about it with, and um, she was very supportive with it. And she was able to tell me that she's actually a counselor. And she's like, man, Kristen, like, you don't even know how many men struggle with this. Like, you are not alone in this. Like, I I hear it all the time. And it's Catholic men. And I think that made me feel better, you know, but um, I mean, back to your question, I just think vulnerability um, and communication are key in this whole in this whole process. And if you can have that with your husband, um, and and form that form that relationship, I think that you will have success. I want everyone to hear about 
your new initiative, your new ministry, Catholics Fight Porn. But before we talk about that, when did you finally propose? When did you both feel like, okay, you are on the path to healing and recovery? We are ready to get married. Tell us that story. Yeah, so I I told you about a couple of my stumbles and falls. And so I kept advancing in the program and I got myself a sponsor and that was like the best thing I did in the program. And I can remember I had comfortable sobriety, like six months at least. And I can remember saying to Kristen, you know, like, you know, it's kind of like, hey, like, I'd like to propose, but I don't know how you feel about it, like in the upcoming time frame. But I don't know, like, do you want me to be sober for a year or do you, you know, like, and not that like, like the dates are helpful, like sobriety, like sobriety dates are helpful. They're not everything. Some people can fudge them. Some people can only be sober. Like we have the saying that sober is not well. So you can be sober, but you can still be like a maniac. <laughs> you can still, you know, let the uh, seven deadly sins run wild, even though you're technically sober. So I, I just wanted her to be comfortable because this is such a, like we said, it's very vulnerable. It's raw you know, it's, it's serious. And she said, I trust you. She said, you can propose anytime you want. So, um, I think she could feel I was on the right track, you know, again, by God's grace, I I was home. Basically I found recovery. I had the right systems in place to keep me in a good, on the right track if I ever swerved. So, yeah, so then I came I came to Florida to ask her parents, you know, hand in marriage, and it was amazing. Um my dad said my dad's line was um if you accept me, Steve, I'll accept you. <laughs> yeah, so poor Kristen was not with us, but but I came down, I got her, I got the blessing from her dad and her mother and had a great time. And then Came back home, found a ring, beautiful ring. And um, (laughs) we were at this amazing chapel. It was an Opus Dei parish in Chicago. And I proposed after a daily mass. And my litany of saints kept going and going and going because I was so nervous to get on one knee. I, I I was like stalling. It was Mardi Gras, and I was like, I was ready to go out and have a drink, and he's <laughs> praying like the full litany of saints. <laughs> She's like, "Are you are 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 we good here?" I said, "No, nah, just a few more." And then, yeah, so I proposed, and it was beautiful. And then we partied, and so partied on Fat Tuesday. Yeah, and then we got married about six months later. So, yeah, so it was. It it was just so great going into it clean and, you know, I was finally free. I was free from this and it it, it was just, it's kind of one of those feelings of like, like I, I finally had this feeling that I wasn't in sin, you know, like I knew it was all honest and all like kosher. (laughs) It was all on the up and up, which was 
you know, a gift from God is a huge blessing. You talk about this vulnerability and it really, a, a lot of people, well, it strikes me you both are a little bit older, if I'm not mistaken, when you got married, right? You were both, you weren't like right out of college. That's from, if I follow the timeline. Yeah, right? Late 20s, yep. That's like really helpful. But a lot of people that I mentor are coming into marriage, maybe a little bit young or even not young and have a lot of baggage behind them. And then, you know, that was certainly me and my husband. And then you deal with all that baggage in marriage. It's so interesting to me that you both came to the marriage with this incredible sense of vulnerability, you know, like in, in, in so, in, in, in a lot of ways you could say you've already, like, you're so prepared to deal with anything that life's going to throw at you in the future because you have encountered something so, so challenging. But I know for a lot of couples listening, I, I let a lot of Catholic moms listen to my podcast, some men too, but it's majority is, is, is moms who are listening. I know for a lot of moms, this is not the case. They are standing by watching their spouse suffer, or maybe they're the one who has the addiction. So what would you say to anybody who has this in their marriage and is feeling like there really isn't any hope? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the majority. The majority is that it's an ongoing problem within the marriage and the husband gets caught or, and I know women struggle too. I know those numbers are rising, but typically, you know, in working with men, the men get caught, they have to act fast right away. They're Googling for help. And I can just remember, I never knew where to get the help <laughs> except for this journey that I was put on. Um, but yeah, it's very common. And and the great news is, is once the husband, once the guy comes in, he doesn't have to act out anymore. So long as he follows some basic structure and guidelines and you know what I mean? Like, and, and you were kind of alluding to it, but I've been coaching for the past three years and, and it's been a, just a secular group. And it's a, it's an amazing group. Um, and I've coached a lot of people. But, you know, I wanted to start something for Catholics. And it'd be great if we can catch them in their first five years of marriage so that those years don't have to pile on each other. But it's really open to all men, you know, because a lot of them, this does happen, you know, later where it wears on the couple or, you know, some people can hide. There's men that can hide this for 30 years without a peep and their wife has no idea. So I, I would say like, um, you know, if you're a woman and you suspect your husband struggles with him, with this, um, I would first get on your knees and pray and ask God and the Holy Spirit to guide you. Um, but have a conversation with your husband and ask him, um, you know, the hardest thing, I think women are afraid to ask because they're afraid that they're going to be lied to, to be honest. And I think that is the biggest part of this is the women are not necessarily scared of their husbands being addicted to porn, but it's they're fearful of their husbands not being honest with them. And um, I mean, it's scary, but if you approach it in a very open and loving way and you let your 
your spouse know that you're going to be on them on the journey with them. Um, they might, it might not be overnight, but I think eventually if they feel they can be comfortable with, enough with you, they will open up to you. And if you can then provide them with resources to move forward, um, I think that that's huge because we had to kind of, I, I mean, by the grace of God, I did have some resources to turn to in that time, but I know a lot of women, they, they wouldn't know where to go. And that's why we really wanted to start this ministry so that we could help save time and help you find the right resources. And um, I mean, Steve, he's my husband. So of course I love him, but he is just a humble down to earth guy who is just so easy to talk to. And anybody who, you know, he is around or works with or any of our family like would attest to it. He's just such, such a good guy. I mean, I talk about it all the time, but um, he really, and he really, his heart is to help you purely. I mean, it's not to make money. It's not to, you know, be the cool porn guy or whatever. It's to help guys to get free of this because it is possible and there is so much hope. Let's talk about your res- let's talk about your resource catholicsfightporn.com. I really want to encourage everybody to go and check out this website catholicsfightporn.com. What are you offering to men, especially men in their first 5 years of marriage? Yeah, so the program I'm going to start a group coaching program and it, it's going to be awesome because when the the hardest thing is you feel like you're alone. And so these, these in group settings, the guys are like, okay, Hey, he, you know, you can relate with one another. And within the group setting, I offer my own experience, strength, and hope, you know, whether they've just acted out, whether they're tempted, whether, you know, oftentimes too, I can, see some potential downfalls and pitfalls of, okay, like I can question them and challenge them. Hey, have you secured, you know, every device, you know, um, what route are you taking home? What, you know, just a lot of things that sound basic, but once you get to know someone, you can kind of cut through and, and help them see things that they can't see. I know I couldn't see a lot of things when I was just starting out. And so if anyone is interested, I am offering a free one-on-one coaching call um, to hear your story, to find out if it'd be the right fit or not. And um, and you can find that on the contact section of catholicsfightporn.com. Amazing. And all of the links where you can learn more about Finally Free, Steve's new program, as well as where you can book a complimentary, completely confidential call with Steve. You can go to the links in the description of this podcast. You guys, what is at stake if healing does not occur around pornography addiction in marriage? What is at stake in a marriage? I would say, you know, um, first of all, the husband, you know, I mean, first of all, we think we're not hurting anybody, but we are. And we're supporting a very evil industry. The guy can get erectile dysfunction and not be able to even satisfy his wife. Um, Lying, deceit, all these things we've talked about, which really, they weigh on a person in in very harmful manners. And, um, but obviously, 
the husband could be much more susceptible to infidelity. Like you were saying, it's about 300% higher. You know, if you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, or, you, oh, my wife, you know, doesn't want to be intimate tonight. Let me go find someone else, you know. Um, or they're looking, looking, looking. They want more and more and more. Um, ultimately, it can lead to divorce. It can lead to ruining kids, you know, where now the kids have to pick up the cross because, you know, the dad didn't pick up the cross himself. You know, now that's falling on the children. Um, I've heard from numerous people that have come into recovery that they've had suicidal thoughts. They might want to end their own life. And it's a very serious thing. And sadly, it has a very negative stereotype in our society. But there's one website that has 80,000 people looking at it every single second. Not every minute, not every hour, not every day, 80,000 people a second. So it's a very serious problem. Um, pretty much, you know, any danger they could find is out there. Um, I also think for um, the, the fathers, it's, you know, we live in an over-sexualized world and our, our kids are on technology all the time and we would never want our kids to fall into this. And it needs to, it can come from the mom, but if there are boys in the family and sons, I really think that it should come from the father. And I think sometimes the father might be scared to talk about it because he could have a problem himself. And so, you know, then then that cycle of behavior can continue through the family if we don't get help and, and get the fathers healthy so that they can raise good, strong sons who hopefully could avoid this. Yeah. Breaking generational wounds is a just I I I, I care about it a great deal. I've witnessed a lot of um, people that I coach who struggle with so much from of the past and so these these generational wounds are just it's just so possible to to break free of them and that's why I love that you call your program finally free okay I have a few final questions if you could go back to Steve and Kristen when you first disclosed that you had an addiction to pornography Steve knowing everything you know now what what guidance would you give young Kristen and Steve? Well, I would have encouraged myself to be honest. And, you know, she asked me to tell her when I failed and I didn't do that. And that even continued into marriage where I'd tell her a lie here or a lie there and it had nothing to do with porn. It could have been about who called or where I had dinner or where I had lunch. Um, took a while to kind of clean up the line because, you know, so I would have told myself just to be honest, because then she would have, she would have responded faster. Knowing Kristen, she likes to work on anything that, you know, needs attention. And that would have needed attention. And I probably would have started healing even sooner. So. And I would just say, like, trust the process. Um, it is a journey and it doesn't happen overnight. And so, you know, there were times where Steve slipped. And to me, it seemed like the end of the world back then. I'm like, man, like he was he was doing so good. And, you know, maybe two months of sobriety is like gone overnight because he had slipped. 
but it's part of the process. You know, like it, it, it's God chooses to heal us in the way that he chooses to heal us and in, in his timing. And so looking back now, I see so much um, beauty in the journey, but it didn't always seem like that when we were going through it. You know, it was kind of like a mountain. There was, there was the top and then there were the valleys and it was an up and down process, especially in the beginning. And um, sometimes it could just seem hopeless, but I would just say, you know, don't give up hope and, and trust the journey. I think that's, what's really unique about your story. You are not, um, you've been doing it for a few years, but you're also still young, like a young family. Like it's, 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 you're not so far ahead in the journey that as, at least for me, I sometimes look at people who are very wise and a little bit older than me. And I'm like, okay, you can't even understand what I'm dealing with. That's what I think is really refreshing about you. You're dealing with all the things that a lot of us here listening to my podcast are dealing with, school drop-off, school pickup, all the chaos of life and, and, and uh, you know, all the moving parts. And, and you deal with this with grace and with perseverance and tenacity. Um, is there anything else that you want to add that you haven't been able to share yet? say for me, um, if you're like me, where you, maybe you come across something, you think, oh, this could help. Just, I mean, why wait, you know, why wait? And to all, all the possibility moms out there and your, your listeners, Lisa, yeah, kind of like, you know, Kristen said, you know, feel free to ask your husband if he struggles. If you suspect he struggles, just send him our way because I can help. And if I could just say one thing that Kristen said that I really appreciated was that if there's a wife that can, uh, you know, when they catch the guy, they're furious. And then it's it's even harder for the husband to be honest. And But if you can say, hey, like, you know, come at it with like, like she said, like a, a teamwork approach. Here's someone that can help you. Why don't you, you know, book a call with him? I mean, why not? And if he doesn't have a problem, that's amazing. But, but yeah, I think if, if the wife can be there to journey with the, the husband, all, I think all the husband needs is to be committed. You know, my friend likes to say, if you're 90% in, then you're 100% out. With recovery, you got to be all in. You you know, you'll have slips and falls and bruises along the way, but as long as you're all in, the wife can work with you. So, so that'd be my advice. Yeah. And just to go off that, I would just say, yeah, if you're, if your husbands are opening up to you about this, you know, if you do have the courage to ask them or they do come to you, I would just say, just be as loving and caring and understanding as you can be. And even if you're angry or upset about it, just try to take it to prayer. And, you know, it's okay to show your husband, you know, that you're angry um, in a search in a certain situation, but you just don't want to add to the shame because as you can see, I mean, it is, there is a lot of shame that goes with it. And so you just want to be supportive for your, for your spouse. And um, one thing I can say about Steve going through this journey is he's made some amazing friends um, through this process because the friends that he has met, you know, through coaching and through his program, 
they're friends that you're able to be so vulnerable with and you're able to just get deep really fast. And um, it's funny because we had some guys from his program at our at our wedding in Chicago and nobody knew except for us. But um, like it was so great to have them there because I'm like, these guys know my husband more than some of the other people that were at our wedding. And it is it is a community. And I think in the group coaching calls to be able to get to know other guys who struggle with what you struggle with is huge. And I think it could be very rewarding. Kristen and Steve O'Connor, thank you so much for your vulnerability today, for your vulnerability in life um, to each other and, and for sharing your story today on the podcast. Everybody go check them out at catholicsbyporn.com. Thank you, Steve and Kristen, for your vulnerability, for your vulnerability today, for your vulnerability in your marriage, and for being such a witness of hope and perseverance and fortitude. Um, in marriage. Everybody go check them out at catholicsfightporn.com and on Instagram at Catholic Recovery. And Kristen, you have an Instagram? Yes, at Women in Catholic Recovery. Women in Catholic Recovery. And we will put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you, Lisa, and for everything you you do. I appreciate you. Thank you. Are you a dream chasing mom who wants to keep God at the center of her personal and business development? If that is you, I want to invite you to join me inside of my brand new group coaching experience, Wealth Without Guilt. This group coaching experience is for the emerging or experienced business owner who wants to clear up her mindset, clear up her thoughts around money, around her mission, needs the reminder and the clarity that there is something that she uniquely has been called to do and that unique mission has been placed there by God. Wealth Without Guilt is an experience where you will get live coaching from me on your mindset, on the thoughts that are holding you back, as well as practical training, practical skills on how to build a personal brand online via my over 10 years experience building a business and a brand both online and off. Wealth Without Guilt is for the entrepreneur who wants to ensure she is not going to sacrifice her faith her family, or what matters most. She wants to build a business and build impact and build wealth all while being the best mom, wife, and homemaker she can be. And you can join me inside Wealth Without Guilt today. Doors are open today by visiting bit.ly slash wealth without guilt. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash wealth without guilt. I'd love to see you inside our community. If you found this podcast helpful, download the episode, subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, and share with me on Instagram at Catholic Recovery any of your reactions. And to begin your healing journey, Join me in Finally Free, where you can get coached weekly and learn the skills to stop your porn addiction for good. God bless.